Sex Communication, a podcast of explicit audio and frank conversation. How do we talk about sex? How do we communicate during sex? Well, if you're here now, then you're going to find out. My name is Brianne McGuire, and each week I share an uncensored peek into the things we don't discuss. Sex. 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 I can't say the word sex. Sexy, sexy, sex stuff. Sex. Hello and welcome to episode 116. Today is the second episode in our five-show series produced in collaboration with the Black Sex Worker Collective. On July 22nd, they will host a 22-hour fundraiser to support sex workers and other freelance artists directly impacted by COVID-19. As of June 18th, each weekly episode up until the event will feature some of the many performers and activists who are scheduled. You can catch up on this series and all of our episodes at any time on sexcompod.com. It cannot be said enough that sex workers are under attack and in need of our support. As this show is about destroying the stigma of sex, the issue of sex worker rights is absolutely in alignment with our mission, and I am pleased to offer the platform of this podcast to raise awareness and affect positive change. In today's show, I speak with PJ Starr, a documentary filmmaker and sex worker rights activist. During the fundraiser, PJ and the New Jersey Red Umbrella Alliance will host Goddesses in the Garden State, a two-hour block of cocktail recipes, music, film, and a panel discussion of black sex workers in film. PJ is originally from Australia, but currently based in New Jersey, and we discuss why the plight of sex workers is so important to her, how she became interested in the subject of sex work, and why she self-describes as, quote, having transcended kink. All right, here we go. So hi there, PJ. How are you? Um, I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing all right. Can you, um, why, why don't you tell me a, a bit about the work that you do? Um, I am a documentary filmmaker, an activist, long-term activist for the rights of sex workers. And how long have you been involved with that kind of work? Uh... I was trained in documentary film by Carol Lee, and that probably goes back to about, I would say, the early 2000s, maybe 2003 approximately. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're totally grassroots filmmakers, and because of the subject of our films and the refusal to put people into victim roles unnecessarily, Mm -hmm. we do not really receive funding for our filmmaking. Just like every other part of sex worker rights organizing, it's not a funded activity. Right. So your documentary films, you've you've always worked with the subject of sex workers and sex worker activism? It's an important topic to what I do, but I, I do many things. So I'm not that that's not my my only interest. I have many other interests. But uh yeah. And you know, I'm like everyone else in this field, doing whatever it takes to, you know, get by, create work. Uh, I, I, I do many other things. I, I you know, have, uh, I, you know, I've been a professor, um, you know, I'm an immigrant. I, you know, there's, there's many other things that I'm doing each day. So the filmmaking's just one part of it, but it seemed a good way to summarize what I did to you. Right. That makes sense. Um, so 
Tell me about the event that you're doing in connection with the Black Sex Worker Collective, their marathon event that's going to be in July. Well, the marathon event that we are doing is called Who is Allowed to Make Money? And it's a 22-hour long uh, multi-session global event raising funds for sex workers and also celebrating the birthday of Akinos, who is the founder of the Black Sex Worker Collective. And uh, my part of that event is called Goddesses in the Garden State, and it's based on New Jersey. So I'm working with the group New Jersey Red Umbrella Alliance Mm -hmm. uh, that is a sex worker-led, trans-led, people of color-led group here in New Jersey to host the session. I'm the session organizer, but we're co-hosting some elements. Mm -hmm. And uh, my session, I believe, will be at on July 22nd at 1 p.m. And uh, we initially I thought about calling the, the event the Garden State just for lack of any other inspiration. And in the New Jersey Rua organizing call a couple of weeks ago, I was floating that around as a title. And one of the leaders of New Jersey Rua couldn't understand my accent. And she said, that's a great title, The Goddess State. And we all (laughs) burst out laughing because I said, no, 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 it's The Garden State. And so we, that from there we, we, we were, we thought, well, we have to say goddess now. So goddess is in the garden state. Or we thought about just leaving it as the goddess state. Uh, and we're riffing on the idea that the, the name, the garden state for New Jersey is linked to this idea of abundance. Hmm. Lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, the, 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 the basket of plenty for, the states surrounding New Jersey and uh, there's actually a quote from some old white guy about about the Garden State and why he named it the Garden State and uh, it's about it being a, a bounty, a bountiful state. So that seemed a good point to start from for a fundraiser and also for something to do with with sex work and the goddess in the Garden State. You know, there's a lot of uh, links to fertility and joy and growth, and and that's 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 sort of the feeling that we will be bringing to our session. Our session will open uh, with uh, a live mixing of a cocktail, and you'll get the recipes, so you could make your own. We'll try to make it pretty generic items from the household, and uh, then uh, we will have some, you know, like preparatory music and dancing from members of New Jersey Rua and friends. And then we're going to go into a a session, an educational session, a panel session, which will be uh, moderated by Najela Ree of New Jersey Red Umbrella Alliance. Najela Ree is a podcaster and a, um, uh, you know, sexuality educator herself. And so she'll be hosting or moderating the panel session, and that will be about representation of black sex workers in film and media. Hmm. And uh, 
Mireille Miller-Young, the author of, I think it's uh, Brown Sugar, uh, an academic book about black, the history, you know, I, I think it's like histories and life, life remembrances of uh, black women in pornography. And uh, she will be attending and they'll be showing some clips and having a discussion. We had, we, we are approaching another panelist. And then once that's finished, we'll, uh, have mix another cocktail, pop some popcorn, and we're going to see some films. We're going to see films centered on New Jersey and grow out from there. We've got some documentaries about New Jersey that we want to show, but the whole, aspect of our session is very much in line with what Akinos wants, which is this is a party. This is, and this is about collaboration with other groups. How long is your session? Is it uh, more than an hour? It's two hours. Two hours. And the the films that you're going to be showing after the panel and, and the, you know, the other cocktails and the discussions, do they all have a theme besides New Jersey? Are they relating to sex workers? Are there kind of a variety of things that maybe New Jersey is just the common thread? The films will draw on my history of curation Mm -hmm. uh, in regards to representation of sex work in, in film. And we start with a very strong stance on the voices of sex workers representing them this their own issues and their own communities and taking the oppression down so these are strong films and it's very exciting because there's something about you know it's the opposite of that that typical approach about women or or trans people and sexuality like any kind of femme and sexuality that it makes you weaker and not stronger uh it's about the strength of this and uh it's not necessarily about happy stories it's really about strength so that's what the theme that's what the films will be portraying so how did you move into um the sex worker activism and you know exploring this subject as as you know, something that's a focus of your work? How did that that come to be? I, as a young person, was always very interested in, you know, prostitution and um, erotic performance. And, uh, you know, as a teenager, these were the books I would gravitate to. So it's never not been an interest. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a very poor, single parent family with a lot of children but with a very progressive parent who never stopped the kids interests hmm. so when i expressed an interest in reading x or y book she would never stop me uh i never had that feeling of not being able to explore this interest so it's never it's always been with me it's been with me as long as i've been a teenager yeah. So when you you said that you you had this interest, what sparked the interest? Was I mean, did you know sex workers at the time, or was it through media? And if it was through media, like, do you remember the specific uh, the things that that kind of really caught your attention? I was lucky enough to find the book, The Happy Hooker, in um, 
I was babysitting for one of my teachers and uh, they were a British family and they, you know, this, we, we lived in a remote area and they were like immigrants and had brought all these books with them from England. And so uh, they had all kinds of books that in their study that I could go and look at when I was babysitting for the, actually it was for my English teacher. So um, I, you know, I, I babysat many times. So I read the happy hooker there. Thanks teach. So, you know, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, you know, once you find that material, you'll go and look for more materials. So then, you know, um, but that, that's a very common s- story that Xavier Hollander influenced a lot of folks. But it's actually a really mixed book. I mean, if you read it, you're like, oh, that's bad. So it's a very mixed up book. So when you you came across this book and, and you know, the idea of sex work was, was on your horizon, was this before or after you were already experiencing your own sexuality? I don't, I don't think that the book was really linked to my sexuality in that way. I think it was, it wasn't like a sexual interest. It was more about here's how you can get out. I'm wondering like if it was something that you came across and it was before you were experiencing sexual feelings yourself or like identifying yourself as a sexual being. I'm just wondering like how that differs from the mindset of coming across something that like is relating to sex when you already are having some personal experience. So I just mean strictly from like a timeline perspective, not necessarily that one informed the other. Oh, I'm not really sure why you need to know this, but I, I, I am of the opinion and everybody has their own narrative, but there's no, you know, you're, you're always a developing sexual being, right? That never changes, right? Um, children have interest in learning how their bodies work. Teens have interest in getting together with other people, you know, so it's always a, it's a developing, life. So I don't ever see it as starting at one moment. I see that we are embodied our whole existence. And I know that I don't, I, that's, um, I don't want to be too specific about that because there's a lot of anxieties about children being sexualized, but I'm just saying that, uh, you know, your sexual development is going on your whole life. And actually there's some great um, children's books for young children. Uh, You've probably heard it. Like, I think it's sex is a funny word Mm -hmm. comes. Do you know of this book? I I don't know. Yeah. It comes out of Brooklyn and it's really talking to young youngsters about sexual development, but using like totally um, colorful cartoons and um, breaking apart gender. And so in my, in my life, there's never been a moment where I wasn't thinking about what's my body able to do. So, you know, upon encountering this book, it was just one, one stop as a teenager, you know? Yeah. So, so, but I mean, you, you mentioned that kind of the appeal of it was this, um, 
like an example of how, like you said, how to get out, you know, this financial independence that you seem to have associated with that based on, you know, that experience of reading the book. But did you, were you drawn at all to the sex of it? Like, did that appeal to you? No. Okay. And so- uh, yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, it wasn't like I found, I mean, of course, you you could find it objectively interesting to read about sex acts in a book. For me, the important part of The Happy Hooker is a woman who would use her sexual power to get exactly where she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And as a teenager in a highly repressive environment, you know, in the country, in a rural area, very remote, like, you know, standard text is that women are beaten by men and that's how it is. To know that that's not how it's got to be and also your sexuality, I think this might be more in line with what your podcast needs, but to think, well, my sexuality is not a liability. If I look at things from this standpoint, my sexuality and my gender are no longer liabilities, which is what they were before I read that book. I mean, I guess I had thoughts along that line, but it kind of all came together when reading that book for the first time, reading The Happy Hooker, because it's like, if you think about it, if you're a young woman in a remote town with very limited economic possibilities for everybody and your sexuality is what makes you worthless, right? Uh, you're, you know, that's how that, that's, you know, you're a slut or whatever, or you're gonna, if you have sex with men, you're no good. If you don't have sex with men, you're no good. Like, there's no way to win. There's no way for a young woman to win in that environment. And I think Xavier Hollander is like, I'm gonna win. So, you mentioned that you had a, a progressive parent raising you. The ideas that you're coming across in this book and, and probably elsewhere as well are kind of contradictory to what you said, you know, that you're growing up with these messages that you're you're receiving as, as a woman growing up in this remote area. So w- what kind of messages were you getting at home that were part of um, like how you learned about sex, like either in school or from your family or the combination? Well... You know, um, you're in a single parent family, uh, with no money. So, and every, you're scrambling. So there's not a lot of time for conversations. Um, but I think, I think, uh, I think the biggest thing that I got from my parent was that, um, women who did naughty stuff, were interesting, right? Women who broke the mold, who um, dressed sexy, who, um, you know, my parent was a very straight-laced person, had never really travelled that much, had no opportunities, but always was, you know, if Dolly Parton was on TV, hooray, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, like that kind of thing, like anything flamboyant, anything, um, glitzy, 
anything unusual. The worst thing in my household was to be normal, mm. to try and fit in. That was a big crime. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I but I would say, unfortunately, the folks in my family had very little resources and are very limited information and just did the best that they could. Uh, but I think the open-mindedness was very important. And just to give you an example of how open-minded my household was, there were kids at my school in this remote area, boys, who wanted to dress up as girls. And uh, my mum said, well, we've got a sewing machine. Tell those boys to come over here and make the dresses they want to wear. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, my mother would say things to the boys who came over, like my friends. She would say, oh, you know, you look so wonderful in that dress, right? So this is a remote country town, you know, where the, the parent is like, just do it. Right. So it's really difficult to describe like, uh, uh, you know, the, my parent was so anomalous that for that time and that place that I think when I did come across unusual books or had anything to say about sexuality, there was always an open mind. So those were the kind of messages I was getting. And my, you know, it was also like a small women's liberation experiment. My mother heard about women's liberation and really liked that idea so uh she said she did not like any other term she's just like women's lib women should be liberated so um uh she would try small experiments like saying saying to me like you will never wash a dish for anyone else go do your homework and then tell all the boys to go do the dishes right so you know, I never had to do domestic chores because that was part of her women, <laughs> women's lib experiment. Yeah. So it was a very unusual, unusual for that time situation. Gotcha. So was there sex education part of your, your schooling? We got to see the film The Red Kangaroo, mm -hmm. which is where kangaroos mate and a baby kangaroo is born. Is it a documentary or is it an animated film? Documentary. Okay. And, and they, so I say that straight faced <laughs> because it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, one of the other interviews we were talking about um, the potential for educational porn. And this was somebody in Berlin and they were talking about some educational series that were on television that they happened to see when they were a child that really influenced and kind of introduced them to new things. And I was contrasting that with, you know, how things are in the States, which, you know, you being here, I'm sure you, you see there is opportunity out there to, to be honest with children and, you know, actually show naked people and show actual genitals and show examples of all sorts of different things that are out there so that they see it, try to embrace it instead of just trying to sugarcoat it, really. Well, it's the, the red kangaroo. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Um, so I just want to say too, I do identify with what you were saying about you don't look back and, and see any one point where you started feeling like, okay, now I, I identify myself as a sexual being. I, I've always felt like this has just been a part of who I am. But some people do look back and they're like, well, there was this point, you know, either in puberty or like maybe the first time that I masturbated as a child, you know, this realization occurs. But in your your career, you know, and now that you're, you, you do work that relates to sex 
and the subject matter. Has your open-mindedness about that um, been consistent this whole way? Were there events that, that happened earlier in your life that you think kind of got you to where you are right now? I, I mean, I, I hope to have an open mind. So, and I think a good thing about being an immigrant is it makes you realize how culturally bound your understandings of the world are. And so it can expand your understanding of things. And, uh, you know, so that's really served me well coming into the US and trying to understand what's going on here. So it never was my intention to become sort of a quiet observer of the United States, but here I am. Mm -hmm. And it's very uh, confusing and difficult to understand, but it really makes you learn to – I mean, when I first came to the US and I was walking down the street and I saw a bunch of – furniture sitting outside buildings and like in some situations like children young children sitting on top of the furniture and I said to my friend I was like what it what is that and my friend said oh it's eviction day mm-hmm. I was like what do you mean and then the person my friend told me oh well you know this is the day that of the month that people get thrown out but I was like children too and I at that point thought to myself people should really be rioting in the streets, really. I mean, this is so wrong. And that was a pivotal moment for me, more than sexuality, but that was like people, it was really an authentic moment of people should be rioting in the streets. Now, of course, that's very ignorant of me because there have been whole waves of people protesting in the streets in the US for a very, very long time. And I just happened to come at a time into the US. I happened to come into the US at a time when people were not doing what they're doing now. Uh, So, but that was very formative. And I think uh, that was a point at which I, I said to myself, I have to understand what's going on here because it's so unjust. And for a very long time, I railed against what was happening in the US. And then I realized if you rail against everything in the US all of the time, like you name it, there's no, you name it, there's a problem there. Sex education, it's non-existent, right? Uh, uh, Policing, it's, it, 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 they're killers, right? People are being killed. Uh, You know, immigration, people are being thrown into the void and we can't find them and the children are separated from, you know, you know the deal. So it's like there's literally nothing you could look at. Food, food is very bad in America. Everything is wrong, right? And so you you have to reach a way of surviving here or you will go mad. So one thing I have done is uh, really sort of try to just observe and learn from other people. And uh, I've really learned a lot from the trans community in the U.S. Like usually my, uh, you know, the people that I'm learning the most from for a very, very long time are trans community in the U.S. So it sounds like your activism was really sparked by being in the States. Is is that accurate or 
I don't want to assume. No, I was an activist before, but I didn't realize um, how bad it could be. Mm. And, and and may I ask are you, where you're from? I'm Australian. Okay, I I figured, but I just wanted to confirm. Um, so how how does the um, the treatment of different marginalized populations in Australia compare to the states? Like like how are sex workers treated in Australia, for instance? What is awesome. The, oh, really? Is it completely uh, legal? It's a, a no, 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 no. Um, well, someone I know who was involved in the founding of the Global Network of Sex Workers. Uh, she's also an Australian. She once said to me, because I was so positive about how sex workers are treated in Australia, she said, you know, sex, Australia is sex workers' paradise. I said to you, yes, it is. But it's really not. I mean, there are problems there. But, uh, you know, Australians really know how to handle like a public health problem and that's you know a lot of the funding for sex worker rights activism came through the HIV AIDS crisis and there was a you know it was all hard won but it's there was money at an early stage for sex worker programs and uh, eventually independent freestanding sex worker organizations so when you go to Australia there are so many organizations and reasonably well-resourced and people have a seat at the table. You cannot make an HIV policy or change without sex workers either being at the table or muscling their way in. So it's totally different. There's still murders and and, there's always bad stuff that happens, but it's not like this relentless killing of sex workers, for example, that you see in Australia and it uh, in the US, I'm sorry, that you see in the US. And you really need to untrain yourself on the sex worker rights issue in the US because there's so much emphasis on that it's just generic category sex worker. Right. And then in your mind, that's like a white femme woman, right? And actually those sex workers are typically not the brunt, facing the brunt of the law. Um, it's And that's why it's important to support the Black Sex Worker Collective and similar groups because, you know, the statistics are just overwhelming about how people of colour are affected. And, you know, I can tell you when I first started organising in the United States for the rights of sex workers, that was not the case. That discourse did not exist at all. And if you raised it, like, wait on a minute, it appears to me that trans people are being killed here in sex work. Like, like people would like flip out uh, and not want to hear that it wasn't this genetic car- category of sex worker. So, gen- I mean, generic category of sex worker. Uh, so I'm very gratified that at least in, say, the last five years that the things that we were all involved in fighting for are now coming to pass. Mm-hmm the the changes in understanding what's going on in the US. But uh, I try to, when I'm talking to other activists in Australia, they're always like, oh, you're doing so great. You're in the United States. And I was like, it's not great. And every day is a struggle. And every day is like tearing you down. Um, uh, 
you can see that they that they that they understand it, but they can't understand it. So, what I say to people in Australia, like really good friends, is like you can't understand the experience of the United States without living there, and you just have to live it because it's very deep. Mm-hmm. So, I was always an activist before, and I, but I did not understand the stakes. Until and I had lived in other countries too. I've lived in Ecuador and other countries. I did not understand the stakes of human rights and sex worker rights and all the rest until I lived in the US. Mm-hmm. So, can you talk to me a bit about like your your personal identification of your own sexuality? Um, because I mean. I, I totally I can understand your your story and your journey and the, the things that are important and I, I hear how struck you are by the injustices and and fighting for these people that aren't getting proper voice and and rights and all of those things, but it's just I'm I'm trying to to pinpoint like what is it about sex work itself that appeals to you? Is it does it have anything to do with you being? like a very adventurous or like very open-minded, sexually explorative person. And and do do you feel like that? Like, would you describe yourself that way? Can you talk a bit about like your, your own sexual practices? Well, you know, I mean, this is kind of old hat now, but you know, it's uh, anything that was there to do, I did it. Mm -hmm. And most people that meet me would think that that's (laughs) unusual because I don't come across that way but you know I was more like bringing like a like just trying to understand what was going on in all of these sexual situations like let me understand this let me understand this right and so it was a quest until I realized okay I've done everything I want to do sexually and that's good right so it's really great to know that you can go on your sexual journey and there is an end Right. And, uh, in the sense of that, you know, everything that I think I want to consider, like in like a sexual act, I've done it. Thanks a lot, world. (laughs) You know, so, um, you know, and I've, I've said, you know, I'm really open minded and I really try other things, but you know, what I'm doing now is, um, I think taking that sexual energy and, putting it into like creativity mm-hmm. and um so obviously you know I'm an immigrant into the United States there's a bunch of things I can't talk about in this interview and I uh obviously we're skirting around some issues and I wish I could talk to you more about sexual activities but there's a bunch of restrictions on immigrants that very strongly <laughs> If you say anything, you will be removed. So um, most people who are citizens of the U.S. don't know that. So for the benefit of your audience, like uh, your sexual freedoms are linked to your citizenship status, hmm. right? So, um, Like your uh, orientation and gender identity or do you mean more specific acts? Well, gender identity, sure. Uh, orientation. Like, look, when you – crossing borders you have to act like someone you know you can't come into the united states and say like let's talk about a theoretical person now you can't come into the united states and be like hey i'd like to 
come here and sex work and uh what else would I like to do I would because yeah, firstly sex work is a crime like elements of sex work are criminalized so immigration's not going to be into that and also when you're coming into the US you have to be like I'm here to meet my family I'd like to get married I'm marrying this person we're going to have a lovely life together here are our photos mm-hmm. right it's monogamy you can't be like I'm polyamorous give me a visa, right? When the rubber hits the road with immigration, there's one story to tell about sexuality. And that is, it used to be I'm heterosexual, I don't have HIV, and I've never been a sex worker, and I'm not deviant in any way, and I'm here to get married to an American of the, in inverted commas, opposite gender and live, live a happy life. Right now, it's been expanded a little bit to be like you can have same-sex marriage, but that's it, right? So there's really very little that you can say. So I'm really kind of limited in what I can, in what I can say. Um, but uh, and that's a shame. But um, uh, what it, what is my sexual identity? Right, my sexual identity, um, and I've known this for a very long time, is really about um sex as a means to an end get out like you know what i said you know like when i read that book it's like you know what does what is what is the message of xavier holland's book oh you could get out you could get out of poverty you could get out of this um what's the word you could get out of um the oppression right. you could reframe yourself as a very fabulous and glamorous person you could travel the world. You could have a dream. Like when you grow up very poor, like not enough food on the table poor, like sometimes you can't even have a dream. And sexuality and the expression of sexuality, like in sex work or in to see sex as a means to an end, like to travel or to meet people, um, is is a it helps you achieve your dreams mm-hmm. that's my that's my sexuality right i don't i'm not really interested in sex for intimacy i'm not really I, you may find intimacy and sexuality good for you i may do so too but that's like kind of like a a fringe benefit for me sexuality is about where you can go and what you can get. And I can hear, you know, I, I would imagine that most people would be like, oh, my God, what about love? I really don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'm a, I think I'm a very caring person and I, you know, before we started this recording, I was talking to you about empathy. I really think empathy is something that's, you know, and understanding another person's point of view is very important. But um, when, when, when having to express it, I don't really have strong feelings of like, oh, love must motivate me. Like that sort of intimate love, right? I, that doesn't motivate me very much. That's fair enough. Do you identify as vanilla or kinky? <laughs> Beyond kinky. Okay. <laughs> 
No, you, I, yeah, go on, go on. Well, I mean, I, I often ask people like what really gets them off, like the thing you love the most to do or is your biggest kink or biggest interest? Well, listen, um, anybody who knows me really well would say, you know, it, this is going to sound terrible and I don't mean it to, but I transcended kink. That, sound, that sounds awful because I think there's a lot to love in kink. But I've known for a very long time who I am and it's, it's not really kinky, right? It's, it's beyond kink, right? It's beyond kink. But um, I still find a lot of um, – I think the best kinky thing is something that really makes you laugh. Uh, so, you know, a humorous, <laughs> a humorous sexual scene is to die for, you know? So, um, you know, like, you know how people have, uh, you know, and I, I, I laugh with, with like love, like, so balloons are your thing, right? Uh, there's some humor there, right? You know, and I think if people take their, if people take their sexuality too seriously, like that's wrong too. There, there should be laughs, a lot of fun, right? Like, uh, you know, that, that's sort of where I'm at. But, you know, I helped, uh, a few people recently, um, to give you some idea of what I, how I feel about sexual identity is, um, I actually realized that there are some people in this world whose sexual identity is really just sex worker, mm-hmm. right? And, um, maybe I should coin that on Twitter <laughs> just to be safe. Uh, but, this, I think this is my idea of like the sexual identity is I, I've had this since like the 1980s. I had this thought of like, oh, some people's sexual identity is just to sell sex. And um, this is not to make light of it. I do very much appreciate that people do their, um, uh, what is it? Gender. I've totally blanked on it, but your gender, your, your pronouns, right? Right. And I appreciate, but even as a, and I understand for some people, it's a life or death situation to be able to say, I'm a woman or this is my identity. You know, if you're trans, like to be able to say that and be safe, that's so vital. But in my situation, um, I really don't feel strongly about any particular gender and, um, and a friend and I were actually the friend is Akinos. We were bouncing around ideas of how to address the pronoun issue. And so <laughs> we just decided that whenever we were asked, we would just say whore. Like she <laughs> spells it H O R, H apostrophe O R. And so um one time I was writing a grant for Akinos and the Black Sex Worker Collective. Like sometimes I write grants to assist the organization. And uh that question was asked and uh, I was filling in the form for Akinas. I'm like, let me fill in this form, you know, Akinas, Black Sex Worker Collective. And then I give it to her and she reads it over. And then it came to gender pronouns. So I just wrote in whore, right, H-O-R, and she didn't catch it. <laughs> and the the <laughs> it went in. And then she said to me later, you put whore <laughs> on my grant application. And I said, but you got it, right? You got the grant. She said, yes. So that's sort of how I feel about this whole thing, mm. you know, yeah. if that helps you understand. It does. 
I mean, and then again, I, I relate a lot to what you're saying. And I, I wonder, um, you know, the way you, you talk that you, you feel as though you've transcended kink and just the way you, you spoke about, you know, this ever present sexuality, because we're just constantly developing as humans who are just innately sexual. I, I just wonder sharing those feelings myself. I just wonder if it's something that is common with people that, that have that feeling about their sexual development, you know, because like I mentioned, I have interviewed so many people and so often, you know, people discuss their own sexuality and these milestones and, um, they, they just, they're in it in a different way. And it just, I just wonder if this is an experience that you and I can have and describe. And it, it's, it's based on this feeling of like, we're just so open to it that all of the little parts kind of cease to be meaningful on their own. It's more of just this very long spectral view of it. Does it make any sense? I, I, I think that's, that's, I think that's where I'm at. And, um, you know, listen, I, I think it's probably, I don't want to say personality type because that sounds like a box, but, uh, I think that there are some people who can very easily focus in on what they want to do, like what they want to do with their life, what they want to do sexually, like this is my fetish, this is what I like, or maybe they have a few fetishes. And then other people are more like, I'm searching. I don't know. Let me go to here. Let me go to there. Um, And you could literally do anything in life. And then um, I struggled with that for a long time, like why, you know, I do one thing, then I do another, and I seem to do all those things really well. Like why can't I just do one thing for a long time and do it well? You know, like why can't I buckle down, right? And I think it's just – I think it's like a a personality style that's better than a, than a type. It's a personality right. style of exploration. Yeah. That, that, sounds, that sounds good, right? <laughs> yes. That definitely makes sense. Two questions for you. So one, have you ever um, been a client of a sex worker? Have you, do you hire sex workers? Uh, no, that would be against my. Okay. I wasn't sure. So gender I- identity. So, you know, no, would I hire so, uh, a sex worker, even though on paper, that sounds like a good thing, like give money to sex workers. <laughs> Great. You know, but it's not, it's no, it wouldn't Wait. work. Can can you explain what you mean when you say it would go against your gender identity? I'm a little unclear about that. Uh, I don't want to spell that out anymore. <laughs> We're all on one side or the other. Um, so, no, hiring sex workers is not my bag. Okay. Tell me, working and supporting this community, what besides the financial independence and uh, – that empowerment that comes with it. What do you think is important about sex work? Why do you think it's a valuable, necessary thing? What do, what do you think? Oh, what's important about sex work? Why is it valuable and necessary thing? Oh, yeah. um, for all the things that I said before, because it's um, it's your ticket to get out. It is a ticket. It is a method. I'm sure there's other methods, but it's it's a hustle, right, to get out and um. Uh, and to move and, 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 uh, 
and go places. And that's very important. Like uh, I'm always mystified by people who want to stop people from making money in sex work because it's like uh, unless you're actually coming, I mean, you've heard this before, unless you're actually coming to sex workers and saying, here's enough money that you need for the rest of your life, like how can you stop people from making money, the most money that you could possibly make um, from doing so? Right. That, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, so, and I think it, I think something that in terms of how you, how a person might understand these issues, it's really influenced more so by your access to resources as a young person. Like if you don't have resources and you really have to struggle, then your life as you grow up and go out into it plays out in a different way, mm-hmm. right? So you will do different things and you will never feel secure. And, you know, if you grow up with in a middle-class family, you're assured that you have a future and food's going to be on the table. And, but I think it's more profound to say that you have a, that, that you have a future, right? right? So, I think people who grow up very poor, um, one way of having their future is sex work, and that's why it's so important. Um, uh, I also think for some people it's a vocation that's very important, and uh, for other people it can um, be a way of having a new lens on society. One, someone said something to me uh very smart. This was not my idea, but someone said someone else said this to me um, a long time ago. She said, my life changed when I ob- obtained the clarifying lens of sex work, right? And I think once you start seeing sex as transactional and once you start, and if you are a sex worker and all the people that you meet and the conversations that are had and the things that you learn, it's very clarifying. It helps. It's almost like pulling back the curtain and seeing how society runs, right? It's mm-hmm. like helps you unravel marriage. It helps you unravel politics. It, you know, it may give you access to ways to study. So it is a clarifying lens. Um, but sex work is all of those things and just a way to make money. So mm-hmm. it's all important and should not uh, be be criminalized or taken away from people. And then there's the socialist model that is, you know, when we're living in this great new economic model, sex work won't be there anymore. Oh, well, <laughs> see how that pans out. Yeah. History tells a different story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So given the work that you've done and, and obviously you're, you're much closer to the issue that, than, than I am just because, you know, you you're filming these people, you're talking with them, you're working with them, you're uh, advocating on their behalf. What do you think, if you could summarize it, is like the most important takeaway that you would like people to know that are listening to this about the importance of what you're doing um, in regards to being an activist on behalf of sex workers? 
Like, is there something that you, you feel people don't realize that's getting kind of lost in maybe the controversy or, um, you know, the, the way people are depicted? Like, is, is there something that you feel like, you know, you, you have this opportunity to be as close as you are to the issue, you being so close to it, what kind of wisdom can you impart to people that are on the outside that don't have the perspective that you have? Um, well, I've got a couple of thoughts. So two, perhaps. I know you asked for one. This is a very important point, especially for Americans, especially middle-class Americans of privilege who kind of want to do the right thing. There are good things about sex work, negative things about sex work. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to decide one way or the other. And you can listen to all of those perspectives and kind of come to the realization that sex work is just a normal activity with pros and cons like everything else. And it's not a special category. And uh, you don't need to have special laws and everything will be okay. Stop panicking about sex work is my is what I'm trying to say there. So, uh, you know, and I, I really do say that because I don't, you know, I don't believe that sex work is the solution to poor people's desire to live their lives. But guess what? It kind of worked out that for many, many, many people, it is the solution. So that's almost like a no value judgment, harm reduction approach, which I think is good. So that's the first idea, like hold all these thoughts, think about it, and you don't have to ban sex work you just have to try and bring rights to the picture. That's right. important. Uh, and then the second thing is um, uh, don't be a savior. No one wants to be saved. Uh, it never works out. And uh, what America needs is workers' rights for everybody. And actually this is an important part of Aquinos' event that, yeah, sex workers needs rights, but, you know, the United States has a pretty abysmal, abysmal track record about all workers' rights. Yeah. So sex workers' rights are bound up with every worker's rights. So that's my, those are my thoughts. That, I mean, and I think some of these have already been, already been discussed. Oh, but I have a third category of things that people may not have thought about. <laughs> and that is, you know, like you can, um, there's this whole thing, and I think this goes back to the wanting definitive answers. It's okay, America, to live with fuzzy boundaries and things not being clear. That's, mm. that's all okay. Um, the thing is that uh, in today's society, You don't have to make a separation between money and love. We've been sold that lie for so long that if someone really loves you, they wouldn't offer you $100. And as a formerly very poor person, I think that anyone who says, you know what, I care about you and here's $100, go get something to eat. Like that really is love. Mm -hmm. So um, sex, love and money in today's society are all of a piece, but we force ourselves to say true love 
is totally free of the economic system. And it's not. True love involves making sure that everybody around you is all right and has the things that they need. And that almost certainly involves money. So, um, and then you have the separation between love and sex. Well, that didn't work out either. That's not the way that it goes. You can have, you know, sex and love don't have to go together. They don't have to be separated. And so these three things are kind of going together and should be more united, sex, love, and money. Yeah. I think those are excellent points. Thank you. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to make a point of, of bringing up or, or discussing or mentioning? <laughs> no, but this, these sounds like the, these things sound like the insane ramblings of uh, someone who stays up too late at night. I hope this makes some sense. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's funny too, the, the last point that you were making, I couldn't help but think um, just how ludicrous <laughs> the idea of, you know, money not or should not be existing with sex or love or whatever. But meanwhile, you know, not that long ago in American history, and, and I'm sure all over the world, like this archetype of the relationship was the man taking care of the woman. And that included financially and to the point of like the financial dependence was baked in as like this ideal. And here we are women wanting to do this on their own terms. And it's like, no, but because there's sex and no love and family involved, it's suddenly like so counter to what has been ingrained in in society and culture. Well, thank you so much, PJ. I really, I appreciate you you taking the time to, to speak with me and, you know, sharing your perspective on this. I, I really appreciate it. No problem. I wish you all the best of luck. Likewise, PJ. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Okay. So in today's episode notes, you're going to find a link to the entire 22 hour event. You're also going to find a link for PJ's event specifically. Um, I've also included a link to her personal website and the website for New Jersey's Red Umbrella Alliance. So you can find out more about the work they do. Another item of note coming up on the 28th of June, PJ is going to be hosting an online screening to close out Pride Month of her film, No Human Involved. Uh, she produced and directed it, and it is about sex worker rights and prison abolition. So I encourage you to check that out. Otherwise, I will talk to you next week as we do our third episode in this series. And until then, I wish you well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sex Communication. Please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like more information about the show, visit us online at sexcompod.com. That's S-E-X-C-O-M-P-O-D.com. If you'd like to be a part of the show, please email me at sexcompod at gmail.com. I am always looking for new sex audio and people to interview. It could be you.